Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. We are at episode 20 now, and today I am joined by Paul Dermody. Paul is an online personal trainer, and he has years of experience. He has over 6,000 hours coached, and he has worked with over 300 clients. So I am really confident that there's no better guy uh, with more experience that can tell you all his wisdom when it comes to um, habit change, into setting healthy habits, having a healthy relationship with food. Um, his core philosophy is um, there's no diet to fall off when you're not on a diet in the first place. So um, I love that. So, um, Paul, thank you so much for agreeing to come on today. You're very welcome. I'm excited to chat. And as you were saying before we went on air, I just noticed that you told me episode 20. And most podcasts, I think, don't make it past 10. So that's quite the milestone in and of itself. Woohoo! Great. That's a good sign. <laughs> um, I've, anyway, I've listened to quite a few podcasts with you, um, some of your, your own podcast, and when you've been on other people's podcasts. And I think you have fantastic information and great insight. You, like, you have a similar coaching philosophy to me in that you seem to put a good lot of emphasis on mindset and um, kind of the actual relationship with food. Um, so would you mind just giving us a little bit of information about you and your background and your a bit more about your coaching philosophy? Absolutely. Uh, I grew up with a rather complicated relationship with food. And somewhere along the way, I kind of thought that was just how it was. I didn't have the skills to critically think I was your uh, I guess, archetypal teenager who saw fitness magazines and thought, oh, I want to look like that guy. So then I would try the protocol of the guy in the magazine, completely unaware that next month's magazine would completely contradict that. And then I'd be trying that thing as well. But uh, Instagram has become those magazines on steroids. So I actually do feel a little bit for people who maybe relate to what I'm saying and didn't have the critical thinking skills that I also lacked when I was a little bit younger. But complicated is certainly the word. And... Um, had a lot of binge eating tendencies, um, exacerbated by a desire to look a certain way. It's not that there was some deep rooted wounding or anything like that. It was just more, I didn't really understand the fundamental principle. So I thought carbohydrates were bad. I think everyone has thought that. I thought you ate protein. I thought fats were bad. I thought pretty much everything was bad at one point all the way till my diet was whittled down to vegetables and chicken. And uh, I couldn't understand why I was binging every single uh, weekend or every single time I quote unquote came off the diet. You mentioned that the, the philosophy was you can't fall off a diet if you're not on a diet in the first place. That was the line I used in my very first blog where I was writing about the, I was literally just demonstrating my own journey when I was talking about the difference between mastery and obsession and how it's such a fine line. And I did mention the dichotomy that I was stuck in at the time. And, and now I can look back on it seven years later with these eyes of maturity, if, if you like, or more knowledge but at the time i was still in it and i was writing about my journey out of this dichotomy of on the diet or off the diet with no middle ground and um yeah it was a long process kind of to to get myself to a place where i could almost just become aware of the fact that i was in that cycle because i actually wasn't aware i was in the cycle or that it was something that could be overcome but uh, i got qualified as a personal trainer about 12 years ago at this stage literally only did it on the side in university to continue living the university life 
for a year more while I dropped out of college. So I had no intention of being a trainer. It just made sense to me to still be on the, the campus with my mates doing something that I had a brief interest in. And um, I found myself falling into the career of being a personal trainer at 25. Brian Keane uh, needed a trainer to work with him. I was already qualified, so that was kind of a match made in heaven. But then Brian kind of noticed my personality was very much entrepreneurial. Even if I hesitate to use the word, I was very much self-employed. So I just stepped out and started doing my own thing. But I, I was sure that fitness was your typical personal trainer of motivation quotes, protein shakes, leanness, yada, yada. I'm sure you'll have heard that 10,000 times. I think a lot of people have that conception of fitness. I learned very, very quickly working with people. Um, it's not what real fitness is. If anything, and I still continue to learn it to this day, this speech body malarkey sounds nice in theory, but I don't think it's what most people are, are looking for. I really do think there's an element of calmness and structure and routine and um, um, acceptance, now, almost like an acceptance that there's going to be an element of insecurities that stick with us forever, irrespective of our body shape, because body image can fluctuate so much day to day. But I mean, I could, Kate, I could talk about this literally all day and only scratch the surface. But yeah, my whole coaching practices kind of become based around trying to work with people and delve inside what, what narratives, what stories they've attached to the to the thing itself. Because a lot of people that I work with in the past have kind of been stuck in, in what I call diet cycles, which I'm sure you can kind of piece together what that is. And um, yeah, here we are, a, a fully qualified personal trainer in a functioning business and seven or eight years later since I started and still going strong. So all the way to this moment right now with you. Yeah, that's amazing. Now, it's so much here now that I want to yeah, want to talk about. But first of all, I just think it's so interesting to hear from a male perspective, because I work um, solely with women and, you know, being a woman myself. And I can relate to so much what you're saying there in relation to, you know, magazines like because I, you know, I'm you're 32, so I'm 36. So, you know, similar, um, similar time growing up, you know, where it was magazines and we were like I say to my clients that very much we are a victim. We we were victim to this diet culture, to what we what we were being given in the media, um, like what the perception of beautiful was for a woman. You know, you were it, being small, being skinny. You know, and this this subconsciously ended up being what I wanted, what I thought was beautiful, what I thought was healthy, and like for like that, I got caught in that cycle that diet cycle as well of, you know, binge restrict, not really actually ever digging deep as to what it was that I wanted. And I'm a firm believer that no matter what our goals are, what we actually all want is to be happy. And I think it's very important to note that when we're looking, we'll talk about it like Instagram now, because that's our magazines of today, really. And um, when we're looking at someone that we want to look like on Instagram, where, um, most people are not aware of the trade-offs that, that these people give to look that way, if that makes sense, and that it's unrealistic. And the way most the trade-offs, what are we actually going to swap in order to look a certain way, if you know what I mean? I, I absolutely agree. I think that's a the trade-offs part is something that I had to really delve into on my own journey, for sure, because travel, for example, is such a high value of mine. And if I was still in my old mindset, I would still be in this very anxious dichotomy of can I eat food that somebody else prepared for me? You know, I, I mean, currently in Ho I'm currently pardon, in Ho Chi Minh City where, you know, sometimes I eat food cooked on the side of a street by a lady who I can't even communicate verbally with. And 
you know, that's something that I really enjoy. I think it's fun. It's the travel experience is very much, very much part and developed me as a person. But I also know that when I was in my early twenties, I didn't travel, especially when I had kind of just stepped out of the bodybuilding stage of my life because I was too anxious that I wouldn't be able to control food for a period of time. It didn't persist. It didn't last that long because I knew it wasn't the life that I wanted to create, but it was certainly there. And, um, yeah, I agree. I think it is kind of a case about there's an idea that I really like and it's related to people who over value and over identify with their body weight and body shape. And it's imagine a pie chart and take your five core components of your life. So for me, it might be my, you have to choose body image. So let's say body image for me, work, friends, say learning languages, because I really enjoy that and say one other pastime, pick five pastimes. And then you, you pick a pie chart and you allocate realistically where you are in terms of how much attention and how much they drive your life. So the old me would have been, say, 70, 80% driven by body image. You know, I wouldn't have socialized as much as I wanted to. I found myself binge eating, things like that. It was very difficult for me to get that constant white noise out of my head at the time. Then what I've often encouraged clients to do, what I have done myself, is do the pie chart out again, except this time start to construct it a little bit more in line with what you'd like to have. You can't be 0% body image. It's not possible. Everyone's self-conscious about how they look. So you might allocate 20 to 25% of your mental energy on your body image, which is fine. But you can start then to healthily allocate other, other amounts of energy into other areas of life. And it's a very powerful visual because if you see in front of you that you're just in a self-consumed state all the time, and that's kind of what these anxieties are. They're an excess focus on the self. They're constant rumination on me, me, me. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way. I mean that in a, you know, you find it very hard to get out of the narrative that's in your head at least having a powerful visual that you can actually start striving towards. And that might require for some people a therapeutic process. It might be something people can guide themselves through. It might be something that if you have support of friends or support of people in your life that you can also kind of chit chat through together. I have found that kind of value system to be a really good start. It's not a miracle cure all. There's difficulties that come up along the way, but um, yeah, like to, to your point, and I'm not just saying this for the sake of it, for what it's worth. I totally agree. It's kind of like what certain things eat into. If you came along to me today and said, look, I have a new protocol. It's going to peak your absolute performance, but you have to go up this, this, and this. I'm not willing to do that. So immediately that eats into my, my pie chart, my value system, where somebody else might be. And that's fine. That's absolutely fine. That's good self-awareness if that's the case. I think the biggest thing I see with fitness information is it, and I don't actually mean this as a toxic thing. It's just... It's a cure-all. It's a one-fits-all. It's like, you know, calorie tracking will get you slim. It's like, it's a solid process. It absolutely is a solid process. If it's something you're willing to commit to, if it heightens anxieties or if it completely conflicts with your identity, even in a bad way, if it conflicts with your previous identity and who you've been, immediately that story is going to conflict. So um, there's so many layers uh, to these kind of topics. But yeah, as far as kind of, eating into things. I, I kind of agree with what you said there. And that's why I try and talk to it a lot with clients because the information is there. We already have enough information. Yeah. And I think that when the client is starting out, and like when I say when a client, like a, thinking, thinking particularly about my past self, um, that, that I would have been starting at zero, particularly after my third child, I um, had gained quite a lot of weight. I was really inactive so I re and I ended up injured after the pregnancy. So I was really starting from scratch. I was about 13 and a half stone at, at five foot six. So, you know, I had, I had a bit of weight to lose. I had a lot of strength to build and I would literally look at 
you know, some fitness model type on Instagram, be like, that's what I want to look like. And not realizing that that's literally going from zero to 10. And that I didn't think that it was enough to just go for a walk and eat a little bit better. I thought that I had to jump on something extreme, give up carbohydrates, give up, you know, it, there, there's no, I feel like we're, we're missing information as to what gets us from zero to 10. And also the reality that we, most of us don't ever need to get to 10. And the people who look that way in magazines or, you know, for photo shoots, it's a temporary process to get them to that level of lean. And it's, takes a lot of sacrifice and that most of us are probably happy sitting at around six or seven. And that took me a long time to get to that, you know? Well, it's what allows you to live real life because six, seven, eight out of 10 is going to look very different to all of us. And I absolutely agree. Um, I personally choose not to waste much time, um, not even on Instagram. I'm talking even having an opinion on Instagram, partly because I'm just one man in a sea of fairly doctored images, but you just don't know what anybody else is either going through, what they've sacrificed, what performance enhancers they're using, what filters they're using. I've seen it myself. Mm. You don't know what lies people are telling. Um, I've seen one or two fungi old lies in the fitness industry from my time, saying the more competitive scene. So yeah, I think it's absolutely vital. I think when you can, when you can get to a place where fitness is not consuming your whole life, and I know that sounds very generic, but you'll reach a different level of freedom. I always kind of say to people, I can't, it, it, when I work with people, whether it's a month, two months, three months, I might not change you or I might not be the catalyst to change you physically in any meaningful way in a short period of time, but you can change your entire outlook that changes your whole life in a split second based on one piece of information. That's been some of the best things that have happened to me where you've had a new insight or you've challenged a thought in a different way. Even, even just something innocuous like becoming aware of your emotional state. How many people would be happier if they had the urge to, say, binge, or they had the urge to a craving? And it, rather than just immediately become it and think that there's something inherently wrong, that they were able to literally sit with it, to, to sit and be there, to think about the thought and, and feel the thought and experience the thought and then ground themselves and not react so intensely to certain emotions that come. Even something like that could change someone's life dramatically because that's a skill that they can build upon so that as you say they can embody the little changes going for a walk etc that actually leads to long-term health outcomes but this this constant stop start i'll be good i'll be i'm off it i'm bad good these these crazy dichotomies that to be fair the fitness industry's historically been pretty bad at spreading it's not a good way to live it's a really bad way to live because life happens in that unspectacular mundane gray area. I mean, today's what day? Tuesday. Today's Tuesday. It's Tuesday afternoon. I had breakfast and lunch so far. Hardly spectacular. But that's the plan. That's the protocol. And if I can stay doing this for the rest of my life, I'll be relatively you know, fit lad for the rest of my life. And that's what I'm chasing. So it's about trying to get people to chill and stop striving yeah. for an imaginary 10 out of 10, because it's not possible for most people. Yeah, oh, that's so helpful. And it is those basic everyday habits it's the boring like it does it doesn't sell very well doesn't it not when you're trying to sell it online that um you know it is literally what you do day in day out on a boring tuesday or a thursday and then the special occasions shouldn't cause any anxiety and i love your your idea of just calming it down because it is so chaotic it's like well i have to do this and then oh i'm binging because i i lost control and um there 
it, it is about finding that middle. And I also think it's about finding, um, well, like what I say to my clients is don't take on habits that you're not willing to do for the rest of your life. So even if it takes you two years to, to get to your goal rather than it, it maybe it can be done in three months, but if it takes you two years, but you have fun along the way, you have a life and it's something you can keep up. There's no point in, and I've done it, you know, getting, getting so lean that you're, you know, you've, you've put, you've been really strict with yourself. You've got to where you want to be. And then you spend the next three months anxious and stressed trying to maintain it and not being able to. And then you have the guilt that comes in because you can't. And this is what happens with crash diets, I suppose. I think it's the case of trying to be anxious and stressed for three months and then hoping that day 91 produces the magic feeling that you were looking for, which never comes. But yeah, do you know that you mentioned that you like the emphasis on calmness and I like to be careful with that because I'm not actually hundred percent sure if that calm state is possible for most people. I think there's always an element of white noise, but what I like to draw people's attention to is the crash diet mindset is literally chaos. It is chaos, restriction, chaos, restriction. And I believe whether I'm wrong or right, that because of that, it represents that you haven't found deeper reason that engage with why you would change in the first place. There is no success without an element of predictability and repeatability. If I can't give you some insight to what my diet will look like today and in around a year's time, to some degree, obviously with lessons along the way, um, you should probably be concerned for the longevity and the approach. That's the way I would look at it. I joke with clients and um, not in any way to make it heavy, but... If I just stuck with my parents' advice of breakfast, lunch, dinner, and supper, that would have been better than uh, all the stupid diets that I tried along the years. And, you know, at least I could have adjusted the portion size. So, yeah, it's tr trying to step away from chaos, restriction, chaos, restriction, and just into much more of a structured and routine mindset. I actually think it's vital because one of the biggest, if you want to drop body fat, say, if you do, um, and I'm not a trainer that actually solely coaches body fat loss. I'd rather somebody made their own decision. Like everyone has different sex drives. Everyone has different kinks and urges and everyone has, you know, different needs. And it's, it's a job of a good teacher to have the growth of the student at heart, uh, without any personal agenda of their own. So I would rather people understood safe sex rather than go by my dogmatic belief of what sex is. And it's the same with food, right? I would rather people yeah. were able to demonstrate their own values. So if you want to be able to drop body fat. You kind of need that predictability and repeatability that I suggested earlier, because you need something to quantify, because otherwise, what are you quantifying? But similarly, you can't be dieting your whole life by the definition of it. So you need to step back often in periods to maintenance, you know, life, Christmas, summers, holidays. If you don't have routine and predictability, what are you stepping back to? Again, it's when you're dieting, it's complete restriction. And when you're off it, it's complete chaos. But I would argue that your diet for fat loss and your diet for maintenance should be very, very similar to one another in a sense. And they might just be slightly different in portion size, but I would actually make the argument, which sounds a tiny bit strange. And I know people need to sit with this a little bit, but if you're starting anything, your new quote unquote diet should be remarkably similar to your current diet in that too many changes at once is not necessarily going to work. And I don't mean the like, oh yeah, eat all the takeaways you want, but just start counting the chips. I'm talking about having a genuine, honest, wholesale, audit of how you currently eat and see what you're willing to change and what you're not willing to because a lot of it's in the mindlessness a lot of the habits that we take on are in the the biscuits that come along with the television or the you know the the, the quote-unquote mindless snacking whatever that means um rather than these crazy low calorie foods and all this stuff that we need so 
Yeah, the, the stepping away from this extreme, and I go back to it and I'll repeat myself one more time because I really have seen this be a big thing in my client's life, is stepping away from chaos and and kind of into a, an uncomfortable level of, I guess introspection is the word. Like I can't, I can't change you. Nobody can change you. I've never changed anyone's mind in my entire life and nobody's ever changed my life. Some people are catalysts. Some people are very skilled teachers with the heart of a teacher, not, not the brain of a teacher, which is here's the information, but the heart of a teacher, they know how to provoke and provoke well and provoke at the right time. And I think that's an incredible skill. And I think if you have a trainer that's like that, or if you have an influence in your life that's like that, or even someone online that can provoke the best in you, that's amazing. Some of the best things I've ever learned in my life have been from people who are who are provoking in me a sense of me wanting to reflect inside and ask myself, well, why the hell am I doing this? Why, why do I believe this? Why is this always so black and white? Why am I always so extreme? Why is it so up and down? Um, and I think so much of the crash diet mindset could be addressed with a, with a philosophy like that. It's probably something that you'll have seen a lot with your own client base too, in, in terms of a lot of that kind of panic and maybe overestimating what they need to do, but trying trying to help people calm down into a long long term approach, I think, is an absolutely vital skill to have. Yeah, no, that's really really helpful. Um, and I just actually wanted to ask you, um, kind of to lead into this question, just going back to your pie chart. So you know when you're saying that, just say a certain percentage of your energy is going into your body image, you know, and that's yeah. people, you know when they're being really obsessive over it, it, it's taking up too much time of their lives. So a lot of the listeners, and I know in my own busy life as well, you know, life is quite busy. It's quite chaotic. You know, a lot of people have kids, you know, or, you know, really busy careers or both. And I think, I think there, there's not like that gets set aside. And a lot of women end up losing themselves in the chaos. So I think that life is so hectic, life is so busy. I don't think necessarily it's because that these women don't have systems in place, you know, and they have systems in place to get their kids out of school, to get their kids minded, to um, cook dinner every evening, to, you know, get their jobs done efficiently. But in that, I'll call it chaos, it's organized chaos, I suppose, we just, you know, we take on too much in life that they literally come to a stage that they're like, I don't even know who I am anymore. I don't have the time to prioritize myself or I don't know where to start. And they, so I think that leads into that chaotic sense of that, you know, oh, I'll just do this juice diet or I'll just give up carbohydrates and I don't need to think about it and I'll lose weight while I'm doing it. Um, and I think that a lot of people need help with setting that routine because I think it needs to start from square one in an already really busy lifestyle. And I think that's the challenge. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? I think you're absolutely right. Based on my experience, I even spoke to one of my clients on check-in this morning, who was a busy lady, busy mother. And that was one of her insights, like what you just said about making sure everybody is looked after and then falling to the wayside. I don't, I don't see a way around it other than cultivating cultivating the time or the environment. Now that could sound very patronizing coming from a 32 year old father of none. <clears throat> I just don't see what the alternative is. And I'm not talking about getting up with these crazy morning routines or anything like that, but um, say food has to be bought anyway, in a sense. So trying to make sure that the grocery shop is maybe conducive to good meals that families can share together, perhaps. And in terms of the chart, which you asked about, I actually agree with you. I think that's actually difficult to uphold, and I think it'll fall by the wayside unless you revisit it regularly. 
Uh, and then there's obviously the case of as soon as uncomfortable thoughts come in again, um, how do you not end up just completely giving up on the new value system? Because I think one of the things we disrespect with change is how resistant certain behaviors are to change. There's an idea that, you know, with a lot of us have, once I know what to do, it's just a case of doing it. And that is that is disrespect to the depth of the behaviors that are lodged between us, or beneath us, pardon, because all of us have something right now that we could really do with changing. Every single one of us is fighting a battle. All of us have something dark going on that we would love to make peace with. And we're struggling with it a little bit more than we would like. And we're not presenting forward, presenting that out to the world. If anything, we keep those parts locked away and it's very difficult. Some people might obviously wear it a little bit more obvious than others. Maybe other people are better at keeping it locked away. I have the only thoughts I can have on something like this are to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation and see what way can we get somebody to to um, create the time because sometimes it does come down to the thing that whatever about your food environment or cultivating the time and the space to just maybe do a grocery shop or have a food environment or getting five minutes to reflect and meditate frequently. And I don't mean meditate, sit with apps, I'm talking about just reflect on your own value system. Sometimes it is almost a case of if that can't be prioritized, if the smallest of steps can't be prioritized, then I worry that the alternative is to fool yourself frequently into trying stupid crash diets and believe that you've been on a weight loss journey for 10 years, 11 years, 12 years, when the truth of the matter is, I, I just can't see how someone can't cultivate a little bit more time to a step off the diet wagon if it's genuinely a value. That's And I, I don't mean to sound cold in that at all. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. I really am not saying it's easy. But it's, it's the reality of the situation because you're ultimately trying to get to a place where you're not on or off the diet and mindset and you're trying to keep that element of predictability. So I don't know even know if that answers your question, to be honest, and I don't even know if, if you'd agree or if I've addressed the fundamental point. But ultimately, Kate, I probably, I've tried to give some context here on the spot, but I would probably just have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone and see how can we cultivate that space and that time daily because there is, there is no skipping the process. Yeah, I think it's extremely difficult. Um, and I think the actual fundamental issue there is that a lot of us are leading unhealthily busy lives. And I think it's a it's a deeper issue than than weight loss or um, health and fitness. Yeah. Sorry, it is health. It's a serious health issue. But and I do think it's a really, really important one to be addressed because and I think that these changes need to be made for our physical health and for our mental health. Like you look at how many chronic diseases are in the world today, um, you know, and how many people are getting sick a lot younger. And um, I'm a firm believer. I know there's lots of, of reasons for different things, but you know that the high level of stress that we're putting ourselves under, it plays a huge part in a lot of it. And um, so like, I would be a firm believer that it's, it is like when I'm starting out with a client, it would be, how can we how can I make this day a little bit healthier and that's usually kind of where I would start and um, obviously I'm generalizing here depend like you said it, you'd have to have an individual conversation but start instead of taking anything away or swapping anything out or changing anything in particular I'd be like okay how can you make this lunch a little bit, bit better it might be putting a little bit of a side salad you know it might it might be actually having breakfast make you know making your overnight oats the night before and having them ready for the morning um and adding in a five minute action commit to f a five minute walk and like you know as much as i do that after five minutes you know you're more than likely going to feel motivated to keep going but if you can commit to a five minute walk or a five minute home workout of some sort 
it usually leads to more or it will eventually build to more. And I just kind of find that's usually a good place to start. Yeah. And, you know, I don't disagree with a word you said. And my initial belief was the good information doesn't land. And I would probably piggyback off you and probe a little bit. And the first thing I would do is ask, why? Why are you so busy or what has you so busy that you can't find a little bit of time for yourself? Yeah, yeah definitely. And I would probe and I would continue to go from there and, and see, have there been like attachments created to certain situations? Because let's let's be real, all of us are on social media a significant portion of the time. So, I mean, let's take a little, an, an innocuous example. Some people aren't very aware of their own hunger. They've lost control or they've lost the ability to connect with hunger and fullness. It's kind of what crash dieting is. And then what a significant amount of people do is they won't embody routine because they're quote unquote not hungry at lunch or not hungry at breakfast. But then they leave themselves open to a very large binge in the evening because they've waited till they've gotten too hungry. Are you still with me? Yeah, sorry, I froze a little bit. Oh yeah, you're there now. Yep. You're with me? Yeah, I can hear you now, yeah. Not oh, perfect. Sorry, I froze a little bit there. Well, that's all right. Yeah, don't worry. I'll, I'll shout at you if I can't hear you anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, there's the, and that kind of, I won't, I, I won't eat now because I'm not hungry and then leaving the potential open to a binge later in the evening. Or there's the inability to feel what I consider to be, say, tolerable hunger, which is a good thing. Tolerable hunger is kind of your body's feedback that I, I could do with eating. I would like some food now. And that's nothing to fear. But in reality, that's just an emotion that comes on or a feeling or a sensation that comes on. But then there's an attachment around it, almost like a panic. Why am I hungry? I have to satisfy this right now, say, for example. And there's a lot of different attachments that come with certain situations, whether maybe literally people grow up and there's always that element of feeling like they need to be busy because that's the, they were always the busy child or whatever it is. I always think there's an attachment or some kind of narrative driving a lot of behaviors, whether it's a consciously created value or a fear and an emotion. And... Um, that's why I think probing these things is so important because like I said, I don't disagree with you on the, the short walk and the making the day healthier. But I, if you ask me honestly, and if we could talk about this as trainers all day, do I think that's what's holding people back from having a, a rather healthy day? I don't, I don't think that's what it is. I think it is the, in a way, a lack of deeper reflection and deeper insights as to how someone's going to engage with change. Because I think everyone on the planet could make a decent attempt at the goal they want without any more information. I really do believe that. Yeah. Uh, so do I. So, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, and I think as well, it, it's, this will sound really condescending and I don't mean it in that way, but it does come down to priorities in the sense that, like, I know what it's like to, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I love my children and I love my life. And, but at the same time, sometimes I feel a little bit like, okay, I have this mortgage. I have these three kids that yes, I, there's certain things I want to do, but there's also certain responsibilities. And I know people will feel like, I know, I know of clients that feel trapped in high paying jobs be, to pay the mortgage and to, you know, fund the lifestyle that they're used to. Like I'm in the process of, you know, making life changes myself, which comes at a cost as well, you know, a financial cost and, you know, a little bit of stress, but it's, you know, leaning into it and it's worth it. But um, so I'm not even necessarily talking about career changes, but that we all have a priority list, things that we're going to put first. Most mothers put their children at the top 
and then but then there's other people there's other things you know and somewhere down the bottom is where they put themselves and i think you're right when it comes to the self-reflection um that that you need to actually start thinking what yeah what am i prioritizing why am i prioritizing that and how can i slot it further up the list i think and i'm a huge fan of journaling for that purpose just to you know nothing nothing that takes too much to out of your day but you know literally i journal for about two minutes in the morning two minutes in the evening usually kind of gratitude journaling now but um i get my clients to really reflect on why they want to go on this health and fitness and weight loss journey and yeah just just basically reflecting on their behaviors and i think that is a huge i think that was a great point that you made there yeah it's 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 really important to be able to to do that kind of work because a lot of clients a lot of people take on protocols that are so restrictive that by the definition of the person engaging with them they're going to fail but it's not because they failed it's the arbitrary black and white list of rules they set for themselves are going to fail just like if you ask me to climb this building now all 40 floors i'm going to fail that I don't have any reason to do something so extreme. So if I decide that that's my metric of success for the day, I'm going to fail that. And a lot of these things are arbitrary. So again, one little example I use, and I found this to be so valuable. People get anxious about weekends or about dinners out, about quote unquote falling off the diet. And we both know intellectually that one meal with the potential heightened calorie amount, a couple of hundred extra calories is not going to make any difference in the grand scheme of things. But if the belief is that the diet has been destroyed, then you act that exact belief out and then continue to act in a way guaranteed to virtually make the desired result or the feared result happen. But it was never that one decision that ruined the diet. It was the series of follow on decisions. So, you know, when I'm talking to people, one of the prompts that I like to offer them, and it's only one little example, but I just like to give a flavor of what I think the essence of, of important nutrition coaching is, is when someone says, you know, what do you do when you're in a situation where there's loads of biscuits or loads of treats? What is the second or the third or the fourth or whatever it is? What's the next one offering that the previous one couldn't satisfy? And it's important. And I'm not telling you to do it or to not do it, but I'm kind of encouraging people to be much more engaged in the moment. If I have a pizza slice, I might have the first one and the second one and the third one. And I might sense, I might define enough based on, you know what? Number four is not going to offer me anything that number three couldn't. Three is good, flexible, had fun with my friends, felt social, didn't have to look odd there, no anxiety or at least less anxiety. And I made a promise to myself that I would stop when I found enough, when I answered myself that question, honestly, and I stopped. Similarly, people will say like, what do you do when you can't keep sweets, sweets and chocolate in the house? And I'm saying, well, that's not practical for most people because you'll be in a situation where there are sweets and chocolate in the house. What we want to do is get to a place where a dietary transgression doesn't exist, irrespective of the decision we make. When you give yourself permission to always eat, it doesn't mean you always will, it means you always can. And that's the magic. So then you ask someone, you know, after the third celebration, the fourth celebration, and I think this is really good coming up to Christmas, the fifth celebration, what's the next one offering that the previous one didn't? Now then we have the other problem, which is people go past the point anyway, and then they start to write themselves off a failure because they failed this task. You can't fail these questions. You cannot fail them. These are designed to make you slightly more connected to your own personal state because I can't access that. I can barely access my own personal state. So I need to be able to um, and get people to engage with their own decisions so that it's not that you feel like you're walking a tightrope trying to clear everything out of the house and avoid every fun social situation. You want to get to a place where you can confidently walk into a salad bar, a pub, and a pizza joint and feel the same level of serenity across the board. And that's not necessarily gonna to happen tomorrow, 
or in two weeks or in 10 weeks, but I can speak as someone who's overcome some of the worst binge eating patterns that I've been able to imagine in my own life. I have no perception of something different, whether I choose a salad or choose a pizza for dinner. And I wish that feeling on everybody because once the choice is made, it's a reflection of a value that I've chosen. I have unconditional permission to eat. And I've either said yes, I've either said yes or said no based on that value. And um, I think those questions are important to ask that kind of thing. The other thing I would ask, one little thing, when, again, innocuous enough, but can help, like what is so bad about intolerable hunger? When I was in the height of my binge eating tendencies, a friend asked me, he didn't even mean anything by it at all. But when he told me he was doing some kind of calorie restriction, I said something like, you're not hungry all the time. And he just joked and he said, oh, my biggest problem is that I choose not to eat for three more hours. I think I'll be fine. And I thought, do you know what? Like, that's the outlook I've been missing with this thing. That that's his biggest problem today, that he has to wait three more hours to eat. And I don't mean that in a patronizing way. In fact, I, that was said to me when I was in the height of my own personal struggles. So like I said earlier, you can get a piece of information that changes your outlook that makes you delve further into why or why you wouldn't want to change. I've had clients swear, as true as I'm here, that have signed up, I want to lose 70 pounds. I want to lose 70 pounds. After a little bit of reflective work, it's like, I don't. I have lied to myself for 20 years. I don't want to lose 70 pounds. Some, some have gone on, and I'm thinking of one person specifically who literally did lose about 20 odd pounds and told me, I'm not willing to do the work to go any further in this journey. Just so you know, I hope you're not disappointed. And I remember thinking that is an amazing insight to have. It's your body, it's autonomy. You do your fucking thing, I don't mind. But those kind of things can make you aware. And I've had it with lots of clients who have been successful, who have admitted, man, I've been lying to myself for five years. I didn't want to lose weight. I starved myself every Monday. That's not the same thing. So yeah, with Christmas around the corner and with birthdays and events and weekends that are permanent, permanent, yeah. voidness yeah. is probably not the answer. Integration is the answer as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And it's so easy to, to live the perfect diet or live the perfect lifestyle when you're in your structured everyday routine and you can plan yes. the night before. And, you know, like that does make things easier. So if someone listening now is like, OK, that sounds great. But, you know, I already know that once I open that tin of celebrations, I'm going to eat 12 of them. Um, what advice, like how does someone get to that stage? Is it a case of just trial and error? Like, are we looking at it like an experiment being like, OK, that time, yeah, shit, I had six slices of pizza. Right. Next time, like how, how do you kind of get out of that guilt? And what, what's the mindset when the first time doesn't particularly go according to plan? I have two trains of thought. The first one I've taken from the book, The Joy of Half a Cookie, when I read it years ago. And um, I read it actually to become a better trainer because I wanted to understand if my personal beliefs and discoveries were actually in line with what experts say. She is a wonderful experiment where you get a chocolate bar or a specific food or something and you get a serving of it. So it could be three or four sweets or it could be two cookies. It could be one chocolate bar and you break it into pieces and you just, you just cultivate three to five minutes alone. And if you can't cultivate three to five minutes alone, you got, you got much bigger problems <laughs> in my life, in my opinion. But you get three to five minutes alone and you, you eat it. You, you eat it slowly, you savor it, and you literally pay attention to the bites, the texture in your tongue, the flavors, even how the clothes feel on your skin. I can't remember if that's a part, but that's certainly a part I've added. Be, just become aware, hyper aware of what's going around you and pay attention to the thoughts that actually rise as you eat, right? Because it's, it's only 200 or 300 calories of a food in reality. So everything else is kind of the attachment that we put onto it. I'm not saying this is easy, but it's a really good thing to practice. I've asked people to do this as a coach, say for 30 or 40 or 60 days straight. And what I'm trying to get people to do is 
if you can have a chocolate bar or two cookies or five sweets daily, then when you're presented with a situation in the future like a Christmas or an Easter or a birthday whereby you will usually feel an intense emotion and just go into complete fuck it mode in response to guilt, all of a sudden you have 60 days of data where you immensely tucked away where you can trust yourself and that intensity of the emotion is gone because you no longer get that old release that you used to get because that abstinence violation effect is now gone or at least it's certainly receding because you can trust yourself that little bit more if if you fear easter eggs or christmas and all you do is go hammer and tongs for a full month if you're integrating chocolate biscuits etc daily those feelings tend to diminish that's um that's one aspect the other thing i was going to say i actually you know what it's funny i've actually forgotten the question remind me oh yeah once the sweets open yeah, once the sweet's open, well, how do we actually get to that? The, the other thing I think it really does come down to is is knowledge. Um, I always say information alone doesn't change minds because it, we must change the heart. But on the flip, I've seen people text me saying, I'm going to have avocado for breakfast. True story. Do you even like avocado? No, I fucking hate avocado. And then they're surprised to see that it's like, you know, the same calorie content as, say, their favorite chocolate bar. And it's not that they're the same nutrient profile. I'm not saying they're the same thing. But what I'm saying is they have aggressively demonized chocolate for 20 years and they've pedestalized avocado. And it's the belief that chocolate's bad that leads to the binge tendencies. It's not actually the chocolate itself. It's the attachment that's created around it. Because the chocolate bar is innocuous. If you put it outside, uh, I don't even know if innocuous is the right word there. If you put it outside to nature, to a dog, to the, to, to the world, it's just... It's just a food. There's no meaning. There's nothing assigned to that. It's we as humans come along and attach a meaning. And because it's been demonized for so long, maybe friends, family, maybe by our own unchallenged thoughts, we come along and think it's bad. And then we continue to live out that belief. But with a little bit of knowledge, you can educate yourself. The calories are really nothing to fear. A little bit of chocolate is absolutely nothing to fear. That emotional eating is a very valid reason to eat, but the devil makes, the devil's in the details and the dose makes the poison. If you, if you flip it a little bit, and even just understanding that body fat has physiological roles, like if we do accumulate a little bit of body fat tissue, like there's a reason for that. It has, it has necessary effects throughout biology, throughout evolution and all that stuff. So understanding a little bit better is key, but unless you change your heart, the knowledge won't, won't stick. So then going back to the previous thing in the joy, half a cookie, the, the integration is probably the most effective way that I have seen clients integrate chocolate, because again, you're looking to get to that state where the perception is, I'm choosing no, or I'm choosing yes. Not, I'm afraid to check into my trainer in case he or she barks at me. Yeah, this is such a great time to practice this now. We've got, what, about five, six weeks to Christmas? Jeez, I don't know how many weeks we have. But, you know, we've a good practice run up to Christmas and then to be able to try and put it into practice over the holidays then. I wish it for everyone who listens to this that you can find a way to practice it and get past the uncomfortable thoughts that arise with it because it is so worth it. When you open that dairy milk and you break it into your eight squares and you know you're about to get eight squares of chocolatey, wonderful pleasure, and then you know that as soon as that seal goes in the bin that you're done, you, you've defined enough, you've de decided it's enough, you have that full trust because, because transgression does not exist. It is a wonderful, wonderful feeling because food is always going to be there. It is always going to be there. It's not getting less tasty. No matter how much you fool yourself, the next diet doesn't become easier with more restriction. And, you know, I, I, as a very optimistic person, the best thing you can do is employ a little bit of pessimism. You know, dieting is kind of tedious. Structure kind of 
is a bit mundane. Um, it results happen a lot slower than you want. It's going to be frustrating. You probably are going to mess up and you can still be a success. Drop those expectations that things are going to go so smoothly because, you know, you're going to encounter one or two unforeseen circumstances along the way. So, yeah. again, I'm not trying to give out platitudes or pointless statements. Like These are things that have legitimately changed my life and changed a lot of people that I've worked with. I like to think anyway, certainly from from ones who have been able to sustain the changes. I'm not trying to sit here and be like, oh, I'm, I, I've fixed everything. Nothing like that. I'm, I'm certainly not trying to be a fixer, some kind of guru, but just trying to share really, really helpful tactics to hopefully make periods of calorie restriction that bit more seamless. Yeah, no, this is definitely really, really useful. And, you know, the way you say about taking away the perception of failure, you know, that there is no failure. It's all really about trial and error. You're going on your journey. It's going, another thing that I think to add to that, as well as taking away the perception of failure, would be to take away the end date. Because I think, I know, I don't know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because I know some trainers will promote, oh, you know, it's great to have little goals to, to work towards. I personally have found that quite counterproductive. It never worked for me because it the, the stress of that, that if you do have a, a dinner out or a weekend away and then you just you feel like oh I've lost I've ruined this week you know and I've only five weeks let's just say we were dieting up to Christmas and that doesn't work well for me I know it doesn't work for um, for a good few of my clients now I have clients that you know have had a wedding coming up and it has worked really well for but I like to think of it I'm like this is for life and this I like I've said before I'm trying to implement habits that are going to that I can do for the rest of my life. And when I took away the end goal, the end, sorry, the end, what's the word I'm looking for? Time, the time frame. When I took the time frame away from my goals and made it more um, method, like rather than rather than goal focused, process focused. I made my whole experience process focused rather than goal focused. It changed everything for me. What I would ask you in that circumstance when you talk about taking away the time frame is what specific goal would you be referring to? So give me an example of a goal. Okay, so just say I wanted to lose half a stone between now and Christmas. And then I, I would want to know why, what, what are you hoping to get from that seven pound loss? What will it offer you that you don't currently have? I suppose if could be something that someone might say, um, I want to feel, I want to look better in my dress for my Christmas party, let's say, or I want and to you're look, certain, yeah. You're certain that will come at seven pounds later? I suppose, yeah, it's kind of like, where does someone match that to that? I, the, what I would just be want, wanting to know before I was to agree or disagree would be, are you gambling too much of your emotional state on some future goal. Yeah. If you're if you're happy to tread towards it and see how it goes, fantastic. Do your thing. Uh, I think you can tell when you're working with someone how well they've thought about a goal and how well they've they've placed their stock in it. Um, I think me and you might know firsthand experience through just being a trainer that it's the things that we think make us happy seldom do. Maybe that's mm -hmm. what what we think from life. So, so I wouldn't have a massively strong opinion on it. I would just want to know how and why someone is doing it and what they're hoping to get from it. And, um, and I suppose, see if I want to be part of it. I suppose my biggest example for it, like personally would have been 
after I had my third child, I suppose, you know, being extremely out of shape and extremely uncomfortable in the body that I was now left with post-pregnancy and very much in a rush to try and, you know, you hear this lot bounce back, get your pre-body, pre-baby body back. Like, you know, after three babies, as you can imagine, it's never going to go back, like, you know, and, um, but I think for a long time I was like, you know, he was born in September. I'm like, oh, what, what can I get to by Christmas? And then after Christmas, it's like, OK, by the summer. And, you know, that it's constantly whereas he's five now and I'm finally, you know, over the past. It took me until he was about three, probably to get to a stage where I was like, OK, no, I I'm looking at these changes I'm making in my life and I'm much happier with me. And it's not about those little goals. It's not about those numbers, but it took a long time to get there. So I think that when people put those, you know, and like, and I do eight week programs with people, but I very quickly would be like, this is not an eight week program. These eight weeks will give you the tools you need to go on your long-term journey. I just think that it, for someone like me after having a child possibly has a good bit of weight to lose. It, it can be those time restraints can be really harmful. It, it's difficult because it's really hard to cut insight and really understand someone's motivation and someone's greatest insecurities and see what what is the real reason. Say, mm. do you mind if I ask, how do you feel now? Say, have you managed to find the peace that you've been looking for, or is it still an ongoing? I mean, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to. I might be encroaching. No, no, absolutely. Yes, definitely. I think when I started, it was I. It's a feeling after having kids that your body is not your own anymore. And I felt that I couldn't, I, I, I had no control over my body. I didn't trust my body, if that makes sense. And um, I ended up with an injury, um, like a pelvic injury. So I, I was on crutches for a few weeks. And then I remember with my friend, like she'd bring me out for a walk. And a walk that was now five to seven minutes. So the food attendant by the time they're back. Was, was the guts of an hour because it was step by step. You know, it was. Um, so, in that journey, like, first of all, obviously, it was recovery to be able to move again properly, and I had to do physio. And then it was, wow, I've never, I've never had this much body fat. And trying to lose that weight and just get back to looking. Of course, for me at the time, it probably would have been looking, you know, my own body image. And somewhere along the line, then. You know, I, I, got, I got quite into fitness and it became what I can do, what can my body do? And suddenly now, yeah, I have a really, really great mindset where I'm just really grateful that I get to walk, that I get to go to the gym, that I get to fuel my body with, with healthy food. And that is my whole mindset, my philosophy now. And don't get me wrong, sometimes I still, you know, I'm a bit like, oh, I'd love to be really lean. And then I have to stop myself and be like, why? You know, you've had three kids, you have a busy lifestyle. Why do you feel the need to have abs in the gym if it's going to make you happy? I do have to stop myself there. But in relation to food, my reasons for doing things in general have become, become much stronger. Do you find it's given you a much better relatability to people who are really feeling like they're starting again? It's kind of a case of you have a, and I, I know I want to speak for you, but you know when you've gone from, say, one particular shape to feeling another way and that the perception is, I hope I'm not feeling judged. Or maybe that hasn't been your experience, I say, because it was mine for a little period of time when I did gain weight. Find that it's really opened up the door that you can be a very inviting person and not just 
automatically assume that someone's being a bad client. Yeah, 100%. And that I just, if I've learned anything from my own experience and from working with clients is that life is not that simple. And people are yeah. not that simple. People are complicated. Life is complicated. People are messy. Life is messy. And it's about finding that one-to-one -one with someone. That's, and it, it's about them digging deep and finding, like they, you have to discover it for yourself. And I just hope that I'm able to help my clients get there because I've felt it. Yeah, it's funny. You're so right. The, the calorie calculator is easy. It's the human being that becomes that little bit tricky because once we sprinkle on our own eating history and our own insecurities and all of that, when we sprinkle the wonderful world of psychology on top of things, it just makes everything so much more complicated. Like I've been trying to educate a couple of clients recently on, you know, they're, they're a very urgent mindset towards fat loss. And I'm trying to get them to slow the, you know, chill the beans because you can't skip the process. But the other thing is like, if you, you can come at kind of fat loss from two angles, one is just mathematics, which is whenever I try and lose body fat, I try and just see it as mathematics that I'm trying to crack. So it's adiposity. It's literally just adiposity. It's just a tissue. It's, you know, it's an evolutionary substrate in me that if my body gets excess calories, it's, it converts. It's a perfectly normal practice. And it's just a sign to me that my mathematical equation is off, assuming I'm trying to lose body fat. And if I'm not, then it's fine. Then there's the other side where, um, you see it as a reflection of worth, a reflection of self, or you see it as, and don't get me wrong, the world can be very cruel to people in larger bodies. I respect that. I really do. I don't think I've respected it more since I've worked with a significant number of people who, who have tried to change their bodies with, with body weight and stuff. But if you can shift that mindset from this is body fat and I am fat to this is a substrate of adiposity that requires a little bit of mathematical jiggery pokering to break down. I think that can be one of the most helpful mindset shifts to have. And um, what I've seen, it doesn't change someone's insecurity. It's not some promise that you're going to love, yourself, nothing like that. But it does help you think a little bit more like, quote unquote, a scientist, like someone, like an engineer, someone who comes in and says, look, here's a goal I have. However long I think it'll take to get there, probably going to take double realistically. I can't skip the process. It's not a reflection of worth. And you know, and then you can start to make plans or, or not make plans from that standpoint. Um, and it's not always easy. Like I say, people make comments, people can be very nasty. The world's very cruel, even in movies and the fat, awkward person is always the brunt of the jokes. So, but I also think we're getting a little bit soft as a society too. And, you know, we shouldn't pretend that excess adiposity is not harmful. Like it is, it's linked to many things. So when you can find the gentle arm of compassion, but the, you know, the, the, the honesty that matches it. And then people want to trust you with both. Um, I think people get permission to change and to come alive and to maybe feel a little bit safer around you than they might do in other gyms or other trainers. Yeah, definitely. And to do it in their own way and to make it their own. Um, and like, you know, I think for me, uh, it was health. Um, I, I was because obviously it, it was injury as well, but I was concerned about my health and I wanted, like, even I remember, you know, Googling every diet under the sun, what is a healthy diet? How I just wanted to be healthy, but it was like information overload as to what to do. And it was just like, well, like it was the chaos that you, that you talk about when in relation to not, we don't want to go down the line of, of, you know, the crash diets again, but, um, I've been losing my train of thought here, but yeah, so for, it was health. So I totally agree with, with, you know, taking, detaching the, the idea of I am fat to I have excess body fat is, is, is so powerful. And, but then to keep 
it, it was the drive just to be healthy and to have the energy and to be able to enjoy my life was a huge thing. And, and partly part of enjoying my life was also being able to feel comfortable in my clothes and to feel like me. And even if those yeah attachments, I'm probably not quite sure where they came from, but um, it all like it does all tie in together. Yeah, it, it really does. Um, I think I, I touched on it earlier, but I, think, I do think it's worth revisiting. It's it's really difficult to anticipate your emotional state in the future. I, I do really think that it's important to be very conscious on on what you're willing to do and where you want to go and, and just make sure, like you, you'll never know till you get there. So sometimes you have to make your own mistakes and all that good stuff. But I don't think dieting itself is no joke and it can leave a significant amount of people worse off than it made them better. And if I told you here and now, Kate, that you're going to sign up for something, you're going to be consumed by the idea of it for a number of months or a number of years. You're going to have worse results across the board, psychologically, emotionally, and physically. You're going to have a worsened relationship to the one of two or three things you need until the day you die. And your life will just be, in general, poorer for having tried it. Here, pay me. You would never sign up for that. Yeah. Never. Not in a million years. But that is how a lot of us get walked down the primrose path of silly diets. Um, and like, even me talking about it can sound like it's making a song and dance about it. You know, if you just you know, understand a few baseline principles, there's principles. When I, I, what I learned when I was trying to educate myself on financial literacy, there's principles to money management. There's principles of compound interest. I can try and get rich quick. I can go to Vegas. I can do all the things. And um, that's not a principle. That's me sharing with you how I try to gamble my way to fortune and how I try to skip the process. But then there's the other side of things. There's saving. There's putting a little bit of money away. There's compound interest. There's the stocks. And if I understand them just enough to do them for the next 10 to 20 to 30 years without really deviating, then I can create a very good life for myself in the future. It won't happen in two weeks. It won't even happen in two years. Fat loss and dieting and stuff is kind of the same. Whatever outcome you're looking for, and you kind of touched on it earlier, like you're not looking for an end date. And whatever about the goal, the actual baseline premise, the, the predictability, the repeatability, you want it to be seamless. You want it to be so predictable that it takes up very little mind. You know, food being on your mind all day, every day is a, is a sign that you're not in alignment with what you're trying to achieve. And that's not to say that you, you know, sometimes trainers can sound a bit more righteous than they intend with this topic. You're like, you're doing it wrong. And I know they mean well. And I never want to be that kind of trainer, but it is a sign that you're out of alignment if food is occupying every single thought, every single day. But it can be beaten. It can be overcome. And I think a little bit of knowledge, like just one tiny thing is, I'll often ask clients to increase the calorie content of their meal because I know that more daily calories in that context leads to less weekly calories because the fuck it button cycle completely ends once they get the perception of satiety and fullness, or at least that's the hope. So I don't even know how I got onto that tangent, Kate, but uh, I felt it was good to go there. I do think then at the end of the day, no matter like it's going to be different for everyone, but what we all really want at the end of the day is we want health and we want happiness. And I think the two of those are really tied in and that's going to look different for you than it will to me or to someone else. And uh, like as coaches, it's our job to kind of guide people to find what that is for them. And, you know, that obviously we know that excess body fat is going to be unhealthy. And likewise, the other the other side, the obsessive restriction for, to look a certain way is also unhealthy and to try and find our middle ground and what's right for us. And, you know, it's going to depend on our goals. It's going to depend on our lifestyle. It's going to depend on our mindset. It's going to depend on our health as well. And 
it's just it's about finding what's right for you. So on that note, just the last question I want to ask you before we finish up is what does the word health mean to you? Not to put you on the spot or anything, give yourself a second. No, it's good. <laughs> I would like to come out with some rapid thing as if I'm some sage like wise person. <laughs> Truth is, actually, even when I talk about this stuff, I'm trying to make sure that, you know, we all avoid expert creep. Never assume we actually know more than we have. Um, I suppose if I was to define health, certainly from my point of view, it's an all round physical, emotional, psychological feeling of well-being, which might be a disappointing answer, might be cliched enough, but it's feeling good across, it's feeling good and, and, and vitalized across maybe some of the more meaningful aspects of life. Um, yeah, physically, psychologically, emotionally, even spiritually to a degree, that's, that's probably the best answer that I can give you on the spot. But. That's how I defined it for myself. That's brilliant. Yeah, and it's so true. Um, that's brilliant. So, and a great place to finish. Um, Paul, thank you so much for joining me today. And for the pleasure the was mine. Thanks a million for the conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Okay, chat to you soon. Absolutely.